0: For our first message today, we have a split sermon from Mr. Curtis Whiteley. Here on this 49th day, he has a reflection, 49th day reflection. Mr. Whiteley. Thank you, Reggie. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everybody here, just like it always is. And uh, last time I spoke, I had started a series uh, that I was going to continue on, but I'm filling in for... Sean Witt, so I decided that since it was the day before Pentecost and uh, uh, all that these, that's going on this weekend, I would postpone that and uh, continue with that next time. So here we are, I mean obviously we know what day it is, it's the Sabbath day, but we also know it's the 49th day and it's the 49th day to a specific count that we all have been participating in and we've been participating in it since... Uh, that Sabbath day that was in between the days of Unleavened Bread, which was actually the first day of Unleavened Bread this year. And so tomorrow marks the 50th day that we started this count. It didn't just doesn't just begin tomorrow, but it began back 49 and a half days ago. Now, this day, Pentecost, um, is particularly special to me. I'm sure it's special to all of us in our own special way, but It was 11 years ago that I was baptized and last year I remember I got to speak on the day of Pentecost and I got to kind of give a little bit of my testimony about how um, I was 19 years old and it kind of was something that, a chain of events so to speak, that kind of uh, took place in my life that led me to have this interest in this faith that I had always grown up in uh, for 19 years to that point. And so obviously this... Pentecost Day that's coming up has a special significance to me uh, as well as I'm sure it does to every one of us in our special way. But I was thinking about this week whenever I decided or whenever I knew I was going to be given this message today uh, about what what do you do on the day before Pentecost? You don't want to steal any thunder so to speak away from you know the actual day, the people who are speaking, the, the messages that they are preparing and of course We usually, we don't worry about that stuff, but, you know, we've participated in the Day of Pentecost before, we've been to church on the Day of Pentecost, we've heard messages, we've read and studied ourselves, and so I was just moved by just thinking about not so much the ins and outs of the different typologies per se, the ins and outs of going to looking at Leviticus, the 23rd chapter,
1: and exactly
0: what that chapter has to tell us about the Day of Pentecost, and how it was done, and the The Feast of the first fruits, and all of those things, and the connection to the wave sheaf, the connection to the Days of Unleavened Bread, all of those things that we have went over before, either personally or through sermons, and so I just wanted to take today as a reflection on this day and look at a few things that I hope maybe will help us to consider some of the importance of the Day of Pentecost in our personal lives and as we move forward. Now the day of Pentecost is an interesting day because it's a day that is particularly a little bit more known to the Protestant and Catholic realm, or the Christian realm, the the wider mainstream Christianity than most of the other Holy Days. We know that the the word Pentecost is maybe a little bit more familiar to the people that we walk down the street with. We know that the word Pentecost, and if you don't, I'm assuming you do, but you might not. It's just basically a combination of Greek words that basically means the 50th or the count 50, which previously it had been known as the Feast of Weeks. And that's what you would read if you were to go to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. You would learn that this day is referred to as the Feast of Weeks. We also know that the Jews consider this day or call it by Shavuot. It just basically is a Hebrew term that means weeks. In some British-speaking churches in the past, not so much now, but it used to be a little bit more familiar, a little bit more commonplace, this was a day that was typically referred to as Whit Sunday or White Sunday. And the reason for that was is because it was a day that was reflecting uh, on the baptisms that took place on that day, the first Pentecost that we have in the New Testament. And it was, uh, it was oftentimes associated with baptism and people that would maybe wait for that day to come to be baptized, and maybe a little bit more than average people were baptized on that day, and a lot of different uh, denominations that are outside our own, and even outside of American denominations, it's very typical for some to wear white robes whenever they are baptized. We also have it a denomination of Christianity, named after this day Pentecost, and of course Pentecostal. Uh, many churches in this part of our country uh, are a part of the Pentecostal movement, and of course the Pentecostal movement is a, a denomination of Christianity that emphasizes the events, the, the, the miracles that took place on the day of Pentecost, and speaking in tongues, and those things. And so those are just some facts, those are just some basic things that most of us have probably heard of before, and we know, but I want to just use this day as reflection and start with going to Acts, the first chapter. Because Acts, the first chapter, is a very interesting chapter. Uh, And I think that there's a lot of things that we can learn from this chapter when we consider this chapter versus the one that comes right after, the actual day of Pentecost. So I'm just going to pick it up in Acts, the first chapter, verse 1, where it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do, and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he threw the holy spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he had also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of god and i can imagine that these apostles these disciples of jesus and that was a very interesting count that year. Uh, they keep, kept this day and there, you know, previously, and obviously we know that they kept this day afterwards. They were holy day keeping, uh, commandment keeping disciples of, of Jesus. But I can imagine that this was probably the most significant counts of Pentecost that they had ever experienced before and that they would, ever would experience. Because here you have these individuals following after this man, Jesus, whom they begin believing was the Messiah, the promised son of David, and he dies, and then he's raised up again, and there's just these intervals. It seems to be that the New Testament presents us with this story that... Jesus wasn't with them constantly after he rose, but there were these intervals that maybe Jesus would appear. He would appear in the upper room where they were hiding out right after he was resurrected. But It seems that maybe he would appear in other uh, situations as well. We don't know how many, but what we do know is that Acts right here, the the author Luke, is trying to tell us that all the different investigative things that he has uh, went and searched out, that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he did appear to many different people uh, with by many infallible proofs. And that basically just means that it was not hallucinogens, it was not or hallucina- hallucinations. It was literally, it was something that uh, people saw and it was something that took place that was uh, undeniable, so to speak. But verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. "...which he said, You have heard from me, for John, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So right here we just have some background information uh, telling us what took place. So we have basically this exchange uh, from the gospel message of Jesus doing these things. He's teaching. He has these miracles that he's performing. And then he dies and then he's raised again. And this is a continuation. We know the background of the book of Luke. Right here, basically, is continuing that testimony. Uh, and now, it's being referred to the apostles. In other words, that Jesus, that's the, the book of Luke, is the, the gospel we know that, that Luke has investigated these things. He, he's discussed uh, things with eyewitnesses. He was a traveling companion to Paul, who had witnessed and had an experience with the risen Christ. But now he's writing this book, the book of Acts, continuing that story. But now we see those things that Jesus did that... Uh, that, that power that was working through Jesus, which was the Holy Spirit, is now working through the apostles. So this, this is his purpose, is to give this investigative testimony on the things that Jesus did after he was raised, but also the doings of the apostles after Jesus was taken up. Okay? Now there's something interesting right here, here in the book of Acts. and We all know the reason that Jesus did this, but Jesus was very specific when he said, Look, here we are in Jerusalem. We're from Galilee. You might be thinking that that's where you need to be going back to. Don't leave. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, which is going to take place in just a few days. What's interesting is is that question that the apostles had to Jesus. Jesus has been resurrected. He's obviously right in front of uh, the apostles here. And the question that was asked by the apostles, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. I know I've gone over this before, but as a Jew living in this time period, that's what you would have been looking for. You would have read the prophets, you would have been uh, educated in your hebraic heritage, and to you in your mind, your understanding is, is that everything that you're looking forward to, which Jesus himself was talking about constantly, the kingdom of God, that's basically the culmination of all the things that you had always hoped for that you expected that you were waited for and so the apostles here they have Jesus he's died he's rose again he's they're thinking come on this is it right we went through all those things you've been talking about this i mean it's, it's coming right i mean when are you going to do it today tomorrow okay what about right now but jesus responds look it's not for you to know it's not for you to know it's in the father's authority The focus that Jesus gives the apostles is to be witnesses. Witnesses to the ends of the earth after they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that just about 10 days later, if we were to take this you know, as day 40, it's about 10 days later or so that uh, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. So we know that Jesus told us, leading up to this very important event, this event that's signified by the day of Pentecost, not just by us, but many people, I and mean, it's a very known story, the day of Pentecost is the day that a lot of people refer to as the day that the, the church began, the day that the Spirit was given, and all those miracles that took place. Jesus told us that we are to be witnesses, specifically in the book of Acts, he's telling his apostles to be witnesses. Now, as a part of this reflection, I'm going to throw this question out. Is it hard to be a witness, to be a Christian in America? Is America a tough place for us to be witnesses, for us to be Christians? It's a strange question to ask because most of us probably immediately say, of course not. I'm going to give you a little story. One time I heard a pastor say that America is the toughest place in the world to be a Christian. And it hit me i 'm like this guy what that 's a very that 's a very strange thing to say. I mean, here we have America that 's you know traditionally been seen as being founded on christian principles it 's being founded on the idea of religion, specifically the freedom of religion. And we can look around the world, people are persecuted, people are killed we know what 's going on in the Middle East with with the mess of ISIS and all of those things, not only are they killing Christians, but they're killing Muslims that they don't think are fundamental enough. And so it's tough to hear that and say, that is something I agree with. And I didn't initially agree with it either. And of course, today, I'm not here to tell you that he was right or that he was wrong. But what I want to do is I want to give you a little context in the manner in which he meant And the context is is that he was speaking to basically an arena full of missionaries or people who were thinking about being missionaries or maybe they all weren't missionaries, but the subject at hand was missionaries. And the things that this pastor just happened to be talking about was the idea of Christianity being marked by the road of suffering. And he refers to Jesus' sayings, different things he said about, you know, take up your cross and follow me, about the tough terrain that all Christians are going to have to walk if you genuinely are going to follow after me. He cited the Apostle Paul, when the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians the fifteenth chapter was was defending the idea that of course we're going to be raised from the dead. I die daily. Daily I die. And you think I would do that? And he's obviously not talking literally, but daily he put his life on the line to continue His message of promoting the gospel. And so this pastor was talking about the road of of suffering. And he was just talking about how in America, we live in such a cushy life. That sometimes it's almost difficult to be in the same type of environment in which Christianity was originated. And so hear me out. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes living in the comforts of America can almost make it more difficult or more tempting to rely on things, to be content with the luxuries that we're continually presented with, to uh, allow other things other than the kingdom of God to rule in our heart. And so, in that way, in that context, that's what he means about America being a tough place to be a Christian. That it's a tough environment to completely and holistically rely on God because we're not forced to, like the apostles were. Like other people around the world, that just so happens, basically, at every moment of the day, if someone may find out that they're Christian, or find out that they have a Bible, or find out that they're maybe God forbid, promoting this ideology that's completely in opposition to what that country or what that region believes in are putting their life on the line, are being persecuted, are in jail, are imprisoned because of these things. And because of that environment, because of those situations, they are forced to continually seek God, continually rely on God. Now I think every one of us here are proud to be and, and, and thankful to be in this country that we live in. The freedoms that we have been given and, 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 and understanding uh, with an interesting coincidence, the things that this weekend on top of the Day of Pentecostal represents, and it being Memorial Day weekend, and it being something where we as Americans pause and we reflect and we consider some of the things that took place by men and women who lost their lives because they were fighting uh, on behalf of this country and what this country represents. And that doesn't mean that this country is perfect and everyone in it is perfect, but it means that those people uh, are obviously people that we should never forget. And so it just got me thinking about the idea of a witness. And it got me thinking about the apostles because, you know, before they were apostles, they were disciples. Okay, Before they were sent, they were just you know, they were students of Jesus. Not that they stopped being students, but they continued being students, and it made me start thinking about the idea of witness. You know, we can today not say that we have witnessed the risen Lord. Of course, that I'm going to speak for myself at least. It's obviously not out of the realm of possi- you know, possibilities. But most of the time when we run into someone or a preacher on TV that says, I've seen Jesus or things like that, we probably turn kind of our head out of annoyance because typically when we hear that said, the second sentence out of their mouth is, you can donate money if you want to, and I'll tell you about it, okay? So, typically, we, we don't really, I mean, it, it's kind of weird, it's strange for us, I mean, again, I don't want to dismiss that, it's out of the realm of possibility, that all things are possible with God, and who am I to say that God has never had an encounter with somebody since the days of the apostles? The problem is, is that I'm not there to witness that, so I cannot confirm it. And what we have in the New Testament is we don't have one person saying, I've seen Jesus. We're having many different people. And that's what makes the the, the biblical, the Christian message so strong is that you have all these individuals basically saying, hey, I saw this. I know it sounds crazy, but I saw it. They saw it. And it's not even a perfect, I mean, in other words, everyone's not even saying the same thing. They're saying different things. They're not necessarily contradicting, but... It makes it more real. It makes it more genuine because they're saying it just like we all would. If we all saw the same event, none of us would probably describe it exactly the same unless we got together in a room and for four or five hours rehearsed it. And that's when you have problems. That's not what we have in the New Testament. What we have in the New Testament is a genuine reflection or genuine testimony that Jesus did these things. And so I started thinking about and getting back to what I was talking about, the idea of witness. This word actually is the word martyrs. It's the Greek word martis. And it actually... Mean, and we know that Jesus means, hey, you need to go out and be a witness to me to the things that you saw that you saw me die, you saw me teach before that, you saw the miracles I did, you saw me put on a cross, put in a tomb, and then you saw me after I stopped breathing. So you are literally a judicial type witness, it's a physical, literal witness, but you're also to be. A metaphorical or analogous witness. Because this word oftentimes in the Greek is also oftentimes martyr. We know what the word martyr means. Someone who dies for the faith. This term is akin to that word for a reason. Because it's a witness in someone actually being a witness. Not just with the things that they saw, but with their life. They're witnesses with their actions. And we see that the apostles, after the day of Pentecost, were given this immense power. This immense power. The example after Pentecost is very interesting. Because what we have before this is we have a couple of apostles or disciples that didn't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we know that that second chapter of Acts it gives us the story about how the Pentecost takes place. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Many people baptized. Peter getting up and you know, preaching this bold message to people. But what I want to flip to is Acts 4 chapter. Because right after this, right after the day of Pentecost, all of a sudden you have this changed group of men. They're different. They're not the same. Did they forget the things that they were taught? Of course not. Now they can understand them and they can memorize them better and more. The reason I want to go to Acts 4 chapter is because it's right after the day of Pentecost, or shortly thereafter, and in Acts 4th chapter, we know that a couple of the apostles, uh, James, or, excuse me, John and Peter, go into the temple. And there's this man that was lame from, you know, from birth, basically. And he asked the apostles for some money. He says, you know, you got anything to spare? And it seems to be that this presentation was indicative that this man did this on a regular basis. People that came in the temple regularly, they knew who this man was. He, he was a beggar. It was something that he did uh, day in, day out, or week in, week out. And what we find happen is, is that basically Peter stretches out his hand and says, I don't have money, or John rather, I don't have money, but what I do have is you be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And this man was healed, and people witnessed this. And what they saw was, they saw a man that from birth, who'd been in the temple every day, begging for money, all of a sudden be healed. And then it gave the opportunity for these two apostles, Peter and John, to preach Jesus. In the name of Jesus, this man has been restored to your guys' witness, or to your guys' eyes. Now, obviously, this caused some problems. In Acts 4, chapter, verses 18-20, through 20, we're going to read those problems. One of the things that it caused was that the, the authorities there at the temple took Peter and John. They arrested them, put them in prison or put them in the jail. And they brought them out, they said, basically in verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And if you were to skip down to verse 29, which I don't believe I gave this to Brian, so I apologize. It says, now, uh, this is after they left... Uh, and they prayed, one of the, the things that they said, starting in verse 29, says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And again, you could actually go to the the book of Acts, the fifth chapter, it continues on. They go into the temple, or they, they go and they get arrested again. Problems uh, arise, and I'm going to go ahead and skip that. And basically, they, they do the exact same thing. They get arrested, but the, the interesting thing is in Acts, the fifth chapter, this is after they're arrested the second time, and they were commissioned, or not commissioned, they were commanded by basically the, the authorities again do not preach in this man's name again. And in verse 40 of chapter 5, and it says, And they agreed with him, and this is talking about Gamaliel, the rabbi, who basically came together, and I'm kind of getting mixed up here and I apologize, but basically they came and they figured out, What are we going to do about these guys? They won't stop preaching Jesus. Uh, this is going to be a message that's, you know, obviously, it could spread and it could cause all kinds of problems. And this rabbi, Gamaliel, came and said basically, Look, here's the deal. You know, if this thing's from God, then do you really want to be forced to be working toward, working against God? If it's not from God, it'll die its own death. So we don't even need to worry about it. And verse 40 is whenever we pick that up. And it says, and they agreed with him. That's speaking of Gamaliel. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to suffer for his shame, or for his name, rather. And in daily the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So we see kind of a a nice snapshot of the before and after from the day of Pentecost. So some points of reflection. Looking into all this, I was thinking about these stories. I was thinking about the day of Pentecost. I was thinking about, you know, the actual events that took place on Pentecost, and this is what it led me to, and this is what it started what started running in my mind. started thinking about, you know, Matt Steele, he usually, and many of you may have this, he gives those calendars that he makes, so if we want to, we can put it on the fridge or something, we can count down. And I just started thinking about this story and the other things, and just about the idea of Pentecost, how it doesn't start with today or tomorrow when Pentecost actually comes, but it started 50 days ago. And it just started making me think about how We are working towards something in this journey with God, even if it is not realized in this life. We are going somewhere. Christianity is a a journey that's marked on, there's an end game, there's an end goal. Okay. When we look over the stories of the Bible, almost never does God give it a promise and immediately fulfills it. This week, the school that I work at, we had graduation. There's graduations galore uh, going on right now. It's late May. Uh, some of you maybe have participated, or uh, uh, went to one of them, attended one of them. Maybe you had a family member or a friend or something like that. And as a teacher, uh, I was at graduation, and I was thinking, you know, you, you hear the speeches from the Valedictorian, you have a keynote speaker, which at our district is the Teacher of the Year. Uh, you have your Salutatorians. And they're all kind of just talking about the journey it took them to get there and how their journey really is just beginning. And it made me start thinking, you know, I teach sophomores, so I don't have seniors anymore, but still, yeah, every course I teach, like at our district, we were required to give a final exam that's cumulative. What that means is is it's supposed to be basically based on all the material that you have covered for that entire semester. Uh, and so I have many students ask me, what's, what's going to be on the exam? You know, what, what's, you know what, how, what do I need to do? And I always tell them at the beginning of the semester, look, your final doesn't begin to, you know, at, the, at, at May 22nd. That's the last day of school. It begins now. This is something that you're working towards the entire semester. You're not supposed to cram the night before, even though probably 50%, as Reggie can attest to this, Barnabas can attest to this, anyone that's ever been a teacher of high school level students know, and me, myself, when I was in high school, I did the exact same thing. You're not supposed to cram the night before, you know, staying up all night drinking coffee, which is something that's very prevalent. It's supposed to be something that you prepare for the entire semester. And of course, the same could be said when we look at examples throughout the Bible. The same could be said when we look at maybe Noah, for example. Uh, And we look at Noah's life and what God commissioned him to do to build this ark. And the preparation for that ark didn't happen when the rain began. It happened many, 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 many hours before that, obviously. More than hours or years. But what we see is, is that it was a long road. Ridicule probably came. Laughing at him. Look at you. You're sweating. You're doing all this all day long. Where, where's this God you're talking about? Where's this event that you keep preaching about? How about Abraham? Hebrews 11, verses 8-10. through 10, We know the story of Abraham. Abraham was called and asked to leave his homeland and to come to this new land that he knew nothing about. And, and Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, gives him a nice little synopsis when it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise and in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He did not experience that. It's not something that he experienced. And it goes on, all of these died in faith without receiving the promises. They worked towards all of that in their entire life and still did not receive what they were promised. Of course, we know that there is a a second life. We know that these are things that they will receive in the future. How about the apostles? Not one of them received the kingdom of God. Not one of them witnessed that return of their beloved Messiah, Jesus, the Son of David. Today, we can all attest to this. Many people that me and you have known Maybe some of us still going through this. Obviously, we're not, we have not died, but many people have died. Many, g- generation after generation, have lived a life, have loved God, have had God be their center of their life, their greatest joy, and not received the promise that they were always expecting and waiting for. Maybe some of us. Uh, have went through many different things and we continue to try to progress on journey on loving God maybe this is in the midst of getting the news that you have been diagnosed with cancer Uh, this is in the midst of having chemo treatment this is in the midst of being told of some other terminal illness a death in the family a tragic situation we have to progress on many of us today still have been given the promise but have not received and maybe we won't in this life. Maybe we will, all of us, won't get to see Jesus as we are alive return. We don't know. It could be in our lifetime or it could be in the generations that are coming. Of course, we know that things are getting very shaky, but we always have to be prepared. All these were, all these examples that we looked at Noah, Abraham. The kids had just graduated—they were given promises. They were basically set out on a journey that they did not receive for, you know, immediately. It was something that they had to, they had to work on, that they had to continue to strive for, that they had to continue to progress on. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to earn our salvation. I'm not saying that in any way, shape, or form. But yet, even though we've received salvation, we've received that promise. We've also been commanded to commission that we have to continue on this journey. We have to continue on and walk that road to that point, to that, you know, towards what we're looking for, towards what we're, you know, what our spiritual heritage is calling us to. I have one more point of reflection, and that is, is thinking about this day of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and of course, with the you know, the, the the double analogy of, you know, it's a day marked with many baptisms. It's when I was baptized. Uh, it's when Landon was baptized. I think that Barnabas... Were you guys baptized on Pentecost? I thought you said that one time. Uh, and it has a lot of significance. And it's, it's baptism in itself is something that is signified by the coming of the Holy Spirit, the laying on of hands. But the question is... When we talk about this journey, when we think about this journey that we, that's very difficult, that's marked with suffering, that's, uh, you know, obviously something that we are to give, you know, our testimony, you know, we are to be witnesses of our transformation to the world, uh, and we're also to be witnesses to the things that's, you know, you know physically, not verbally when we speak, but also the way we live out our lives, it's the Holy Spirit that enables us. We look at the apostles, when we look you know they were just disciples, we look at that before and after that snapshot. what gave them boldness was that spirit that they received, that spirit that received it's interesting when we think about the disciples and the apostles because when we look at the, the the narrative of the New Testament, it seems to be that when they were just those men that were following Jesus, when Jesus was arrested the the biblical message is almost presented to us that the men who fleed Jesus, talking about John, you know, Peter, all those individuals, those disciples, they fled out of terror for their own life at a time when they probably, because they hadn't had the full story yet, they hadn't understood how all of it was going to turn out, they fled at a time period when they probably thought the kingdom was getting ready to come right there in their lifetime. But what we see is, is that when Pentecost takes place afterwards in the Holy Spirit, Here you have these men, these same men that have been transformed by that power of the Holy Spirit at a time where they have realized that we don't know when it's coming and if it's even going to be in our lifetime. Now, of course, initially they might not have understood that, but as they became gray and as they became older and older, it seems that they realized that it's something that might happen after they died. So before you have men that are actually more scared, the fearful men, The ones who thought it was getting ready to take place, and they were getting ready to be on those thrones, they were the fearful ones. So this is just a testimony of how powerful that Holy Spirit is. It's a testimony of how much we have to harness that Spirit. Just like the finals that I gave my students this week, and I was thinking about this when I was coming up with this message, I made the comment that it doesn't start with the day before the final, the week before the final, or even the month before. It starts at the beginning. And With us, the, the, the preparation that is. With us, our preparation starts now. And it started back when we were baptized. Are we living towards something? That's the question I want to ask. When we think about Pentecost. We think about how it's something that's, that takes place tomorrow on one particular day. But it's been a journey. We started back 50 days ago. And in much of the same way, it's typical or it signifies kind of our faith to some extent. And our faith is something that we are supposed to be progressing towards. Just like all the different individuals throughout the Bible that we read about, these men of faith, they're, they're doing things in the face of opposition, in the face of trials, in the face of being killed, in the face of all of this persecution. And many of them didn't receive any of it. Well, none of them received the kingdom of God like they had thought, but they continued progressing because they knew and they understood that what they were doing there in that initial point was going towards something. So as this day comes, as we started on our day of Pentecost, as we had this little journey in this last 50 days, the day of Pentecost has come tomorrow or tonight at, at sundown, I just want us to, I just want to encourage us to think about these things think about this journey that we've come just in the last 50 days but also think about our journey and walk with God since our baptism and think about if we're living a life mentally, our attitudes where we're working towards something working towards that spiritual heritage that awaits us in the soon coming kingdom of God